0: Welcome, everybody, to Legal Tech Week for August 27th, 2021. This is Bob Ambroji, uh, and uh, I have the blog Law Sites, I hope, which is another problem because my blog is moving to a new platform today, and I haven't gotten an update on that either. Uh, and uh, But I used to have a blog, Law Sites, at least, and I hope in the future to also have that blog. <laughs> uh and uh also the podcast law next and our panelists today uh as you see them here uh let's start with you victoria want to introduce yourself
1: hey everyone my name is victoria hutchins i'm based in philadelphia and i'm a reporter with alm where usually you'll find my byline on legal tech news where i cover technology and how it's impacting the legal industry
2: and uh joe uh joe patrice from above the law and the podcast thinking like a lawyer i am uh you know, I'm here to bring my usual insights and try to be a little bit, a little bit negative. Like I'm not as positive as I often as I could be uh, as <laughs> oh, having come back.
0: <laughs> uh, you're referring to your test or your? Uh...
2: Yeah, um, having having just returned from. I, we will talk about this, I'm sure, uh, for a deal of the show. But having returned from the Las Vegas convention, I uh, am going to do one of these tests just to be safe, despite obviously being vaccinated and all. So.
3: Excellent.
0: And uh, Zach, uh, how about you? You just returned too. Are you getting tested?
3: (laughs) I will be. Um, Yeah, I'm Zach Warren. I'm with Legal Tech News. Um, You'll also see me on Law.com and other brands. I was with Joe in Vegas for the past four days. Now, I actually haven't returned yet. I am in Houston seeing a friend for the next couple of days. Then we'll be back uh, where I live in Minnesota next week.
0: Sounds good. And Victor...
4: Hi, everyone, Victor Lee, Assistant Managing Editor with the ABA Journal, focusing on business of law and technology. Uh, I was not in Vegas, and after hearing that, I'm actually pretty glad I wasn't. But my my best to, to the both of you, though.
0: Last but not least, Nikki.
5: My name is Nikki Black. I'm the legal technology evangelist of my case, law practice management software. I write legal tech columns for the ABA Journal, Above the Law. Uh, daily record and also uh, weekly blog post at least for the my case blog. Um, and I, I didn't go to ILTA, but um, I am just by word of warning. It doesn't look like it, but I'm outside. So if I start jumping around, it's because a bee has come near me. So it's not that I'm having any, you know, seizures. So don't no medical urgency issues. So
2: well, word be, of warning, well. be careful. I, I love I'll that try. you have a library
0: outside as well as the one inside your house. Mm-hmm. That's really fancy.
5: I know. I, you wealthy I, you know, people. I, I take I it know. with me wherever I go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to spend a little time, I guess, today talking about ILTA. Uh, you know, I didn't go either. I had wanted to go. Uh, and then I kind of whipped out at the last minute and thought, maybe I better not do this and maybe it's not such a good idea. But... Um, Two of you did go and I'm really curious to hear, you know, your impressions from being there live. Of course, only one of you actually had a press pass, right? Did they they ever turn that around, Joe? Did they ever like say, okay, you know, we're gonna let you in after all or?
2: No, 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 that didn't happen. Um, Yeah, Uh, though, it was a great success, I thought. Uh, Actually, Zach and I have been having a lot of conversations about it uh, afterwards. Uh, This whole... Obviously, it was by necessity that we had this press room idea where we stayed in the giant suite at the penthouse of the Mandalay Bay and just met with people one by one. Uh, We never would have done that if I had a press pass and you know, sometimes Sometimes that's the that's the push that you get to find real genius because it was fantastic. Uh, Working together was great. We had um, and it was good for us to like play off each other and whatever. But the vendors uh, came back and were super excited about it. They felt they felt like it was saving them time to only give the spiel once. They felt heard a lot more. And, you know, and one of the quirks and, you know, is and this hasn't really come up yet because we're still processing our stories, but one annoying thing for a vendor is to prepare this spiel give it and you know we all have a limited bandwidth and you know sometimes you don't write that story and it seems like it was a waste for them and you know when a few of us are in the room doing it together if only one of us writes it then that was a successful meeting for them so we got we got people actually saying are you going to do this at future shows so could be a thing in the future
3: Yeah, that was definitely nice. And I will say too, kudos to Above the Law, because the suite that they booked at the Mandalay was excellent Um, Mm -hmm. overlooking the pool. It was beautiful and a great space, a lot of space too. Um, But yeah, kind of to that point, I definitely do agree. And I think it does help too, and Joe and I were discussing this, that we also kind of have similar interview styles, where (laughs) it's really just kind of, okay, we want to hear what's up, we're just going to let you speak for a bit. And then we're going to have some follow ups and kind of dive into some of the trends that you're seeing from there. Um, But because of that, it was nice, we just kind of let people talk and do their thing. So it wouldn't surprise me to see that come back at Legal Week New York, maybe future Ilta, stuff like that, because I do think it was helpful. Um, So you
0: guys did some bonding
3: did bonding.
2: Yeah. And, and Reese too. Cause uh, we should, we shouldn't leave him out uh, cause yeah. he was there with us, but uh, yeah. Uh, Are there other
0: I, reporters there? I still don't know. Still never no. got a, from the little press briefings they were having every morning. It looked like they were, I mean, the other people on the calls weren't even reporters. I don't know who they were.
2: I mean, I, mean, I know no, some of them. I'll were, let Joe they, take this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there was, I saw one other press pass and it was a, per, a friend of ours who is not actually really a press member, uh, but a PR person. Uh, but, he had a press pass. I don't know why uh, there was a press swag bag that uh, Zach showed me, which I, did, I, you know, appreciate the hustle of creating a whole swag bag for Zach and Reese only. But they <laughs> did. Right. Uh, it, I, I also heard a story. I'm not going to get to uh, name everybody here, but um, it, Caroline, who I wish could have been on this call, because I think it'd be interesting to hear her perspective on this. She uh, had an interview with the Ilta folks about the press issue a couple days ago. If people haven't seen it, uh, it's worth checking out because she gets an interview and talks it through. And in that interview, the argument for why some of us were not included was Ilta feels like it, there are some outlets that it trusts and it just invited them, uh, which was interesting because then Caroline, who is obviously not going to make it all the way over from across the pond, commissioned somebody else to write for her outlet. Uh, which apparently is one of the ones that they trust and uh, they didn't let that person in. <laughs> so oh. seems like maybe it's less outlets that they trust and more arbitrarily just making decisions on the fly. it was oh. it was weird. and it was an unforced error on their part. It was uh, you know sad, but the silver lining we did this sweet thing and I think it worked out well. Yeah,
5: it's such a strange way to approach the press, especially yeah. when there's oh, yes. so few members all things considered of the press
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah no and then and then i mean you know we could we could go off on a whole tangent on this issue i mean the the, the press briefings were, were kind of interesting too because they were they were mandatory first of all we had to attend the press briefings they told us i mean i don't know what what happened if you didn't attend them but there really wasn't much to that. I mean, basically, they would go over the same calendar that they had already emailed out to everybody. Well, Bob, if you would anyway. check your
2: e- bob if you would check your email a little bit more.
0: <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that's,
2: that's an inappropriate way to talk to somebody. I, uh, but I'm interviewing. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm auditioning for a certain job. Yeah. <laughs> go on.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, th- that was an allusion to uh, when I asked a question during the press briefing, and the answer was, "Had I checked my email, I would know the answer." which in fact was not correct because I hadn't been emailed the answer, but uh, that was uh, that was okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, the, so other than Zach and Joe, did any of you watch or participate in any of ILTA this week or uh, were you guys all just uh, doing other stuff all week?
1: I covered ILTA panels and kind of got to see like how their platform works and it's interesting. Yeah. And the sessions, they were,
0: beyond, beyond oh,
1: oh, the sessions, like the um, subject matter was definitely timely, definitely an emphasis on like the hybrid work environment and using like collaboration platforms. The one thing that was a little bit weird and like some of they would list like all the sessions online and then you would click it and you would wait for it to start and then it would say in person only but they didn't tell you beforehand. So you're kind of waiting at 2.30 to watch something stream and it wouldn't actually be live stream. So that was just kind of like, I didn't know if that was something last minute that just changed or something, but like a heads up beforehand would be useful. And with like kind of like a hybrid conference, there were some technical issues, which I think like a lot of like different other organizations maybe would struggle with as well, especially if you have some speakers that are, Um, remote and those that are actually on site, um, at least two of the panels that I was on, there was like technical issues where there was really bad echoes or um, the cameras weren't set up right. So you couldn't see the people that were actually there in person. And I think another time when most of the speakers, all the speakers, except for the moderator were um, remote. And the moderator, I think their mic just went out and you just saw like the people behind the scenes trying to help that person with their mic and everything. So there were some technical issues with it that I think like this highlights for any type of organization, the um, difficulties of having like hybrid, some people in person, some people out. Um, but I did kind of like, I noticed more interaction on the chat feature, and I thought that was kind of cool. Sometimes it sort of seemed like it was maybe the marketing people, but you saw them asking questions and just kind of like interacting with what they said and everything. So that was pretty cool. And I, I noticed the, um, also, they also had the option of like closed captioning. So I remember, we talked about before is like a good inclusive feature to have with these types of video conferencing. I didn't actually test out the feature to see if it was really accurate, but I thought that was something that, um, you know, other um legal tech conventions might want to also include. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, I attended some of the programs, not probably not as many as if I had been there in person, uh, because. What this, I have the same problem when I'm not there in person that I tend to end up doing other work and other stuff and my calendar opens up and I get distracted doing other stuff. But you know, I, to me, that kind of the bottom line is for me, I, I do think ILTA deserves credit for kind of breaking the ice. Uh, and uh, I think there had been the, the ABA annual meeting had been somewhat hybrid, right? The, Victor, I think we talked about that before, uh, but this was the first legal tech one that I know of. And you know, it, it does sound like from some of the people I talked to, uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm among many of the people who did physically attend just being able to get there and, and, and spend some time talking to other people. Um, I mean, I don't know what it was like. Did, was it, uh, you know, Zach, you probably made it onto the exhibit for a little bit. Uh, what was that
3: like? I did. Um, it, it was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, and Reese wrote an article for us kind of to this extent as well just getting people on the record on the exhibit floor it was sparse it was kind of dead um yeah. but I feel like a lot of the people that I talked to said yeah that was kind of to be expected not only with the Delta variant but just in terms of pairing back what people can do under the pandemic as well um it, like I, I had a few meetings in there and it was you saw a few people looking through booths but for the most part it was people who probably already had meetings there and had specific people that they were trying to see there wasn't really much window shopping there um, the flip side of that is and Joe probably has the same observation the conversations that people did have tended to be a lot more targeted and a lot more productive um, it kind of on the whole, pretty much everybody we talked to said, like, we're not getting as many people, but the quality is definitely there because the people who are at this show really, really want to be at this show. And they're really interested in what we have to say. And we're also, what I found kind of interesting, a lot of people said, because there's not so many people, we're not rushing from meeting to meeting to meeting. So we're actually able to have more in-depth conversations Network a little bit more and kind of learn what these tools are about a little bit more than maybe we would at a bigger show or something like that. So it's definitely different, but I don't know it's necessarily bad, I guess.
2: Yeah, that came up in multiple of our interviews. The people saying that the meetings, you know, it's annoying that there aren't as many, but they were all higher quality. And exactly as Zach said, one of the points was I don't feel rushed. Uh, I don't, I'm not constantly, especially players that aren't necessarily like the giant lateras or whatever of the world, they were like, yeah, I, I get somebody's ear without them saying, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm actually walking over to talk to the bigger fish. Uh, So it was nice. And this comes back to, I, it sounds like I'm always, partially because of this press pass issue. uh, It seems as though I'm very negative all the time and I don't want to be because part of the reason I love this show and always go back is that, putting aside and that's how it's run. Sometimes uh, the passion of the people there is always kind of infectious. Well, that's a bad word right now. Uh, always kind of amazing. And so uh, but you get the you get to all these people together who really care and are doing these things on their own. And you really saw that here because uh, the the show proper wasn't giving them a huge audience, but people were going out, making connections, having dinners and uh, and meetups on the side. And just making the show run, uh, and I feel like they, it kind of proved that uh, no matter what the obstacles are, the people who make up going to the show uh, can get over the hump and uh, and makes make lemons out of the uh, lemonade that we got.
0: Yeah, the press pass issue was pretty shocking, really, and I, I, you know, you kind of wondered whether that was the case beforehand. They they never said that, but it, it it's I mean. Again, I, I have a lot of respect for for ILTA for a lot of the people there, but it's 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 very concerning when an organization feels like uh, you know the way to control uh, messaging around it and its events is to uh, only allow friendly reporters to cover you. Um, you know, that's, that's not a good sign. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, and, I mean, uh, if we did
4: yeah. that for ABA events, but okay, okay, anyone who's ever said anything bad about the ABA is not allowed to come because we don't trust you. Nobody would be at our events, so. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Well, and there's, there's also the famous Lyndon Johnson line uh, that I, I thought of in the middle of this show, which is when a show is running, and I'm going to quote an anonymous vendor here, this show is a shit show, is something that the, that anonymous vendor said. Uh, when a show is running like that, not having the press inside the tent pissing out as opposed to outside the tent pissing in is a mistake. Uh, you want us to be there to like smooth those things over. Tell your narrative about how, oh, you know, it it, it wasn't really that bad. And it's not like we, you know, we were bad ethical, uh, bad ethics as journalists because we do that. But like it it matters if you feel comfortable with the people you're talking to, it's going to uh, impact how you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel
5: like I'm going to have nightmares about that imagery now, Joe. Like, what are you doing? <laughs>
1: that was,
2: as I recall, that was a, a line about J. Edgar Hoover. The, like, why he kept J. Edgar Hoover on, even though he was awful, was that it's just easier to have him in the tent. All that checks out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sounds like a uh, Lyndon Johnson quote for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, we'll see. I, you know, somebody asked in the comment about you know whether we're going to see a, a uh, ILTA-associated uh, covid outbreak and probably not likely we're going to see an outbreak uh we you know i, I don't we have cases we have an we so we know a couple we know of i mean ilta um,
2: informed, emailed you informed about some, people,
0: <laughs> 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 some people uh about, about a, a a contractor not a, a attendee who uh uh was a uh, who, who tested positive i guess and uh uh but who was on premises i guess at some point uh, uh, and then we we know of at least one other attendee uh, who's, who's since tested positive or during the show, even maybe tested positive. Um, but it'd be interesting. And I don't think I don't know if anybody's asked all of this. I, I actually meant to ask them this the other day during the press briefing and forgot. But uh, whether they are going to be formally monitoring and, and reporting this. I mean, I assume they have to be at least monitoring it or, or getting Because they work so closely with the Clark County authorities and, uh, and state authorities on this stuff that I'm sure there will be updates, but not likely there's going to be like a massive, not going to be a super spreader event. Uh, The world of legal technology will all come down sick.
2: Uh, With all of us having been vaccinated, it means the breakthrough cases do happen, but they are more rarer and therefore law big numbers. If you get, you know, 3,000 people at a convention. Oops, wait, no, maybe 1,200 people at a convention. Oh, I'm sorry, no, maybe 800. (laughs) No, could it be 300? Whatever, whatever. You get those, that many people in a place, and, you know, there will be one or two, but they're all vaccinated, and there's going to be one or two that's going to happen. But, you know, that's it, still is a success. Yeah. Am
5: I the only one that sometimes feels like we're in a strange post apocalyptic movie scenario or maybe a video game when we sit around talking about? testing and vaccines and sometimes I feel so surreal to me I've still not quite gotten used to it
0: but you thought we were in a uh, video game before all this happened so
5: right but sometimes (laughs) maybe it is just this horrible simulation going awry
1: sometimes it feels so surreal to me
5: when I listen to. no it is Nikki, you
1: did put us in assimilation for attending a legal tech convention, so you put us in the matrix. That's what
5: you did. Maybe we never just left. Maybe that's it. we're all. This is really great (laughs) graphics.
1: We are. We're
0: still. We're still on the EDRM campus here, wandering around. Um, there was something uh, important I was just going to say too. I forgot what it was. Um. Oh, I know. The other thing, just to play off of what, what I think what you guys were just kind of joking a little bit about was, was was the numbers reporting. I mean, I'm not sure we ever really got a clear answer on the numbers because the, the, the numbers that they were offering did kind of keep edging down over the course of the week. Uh, but then everybody I would talk to who was there kept saying those numbers can't possibly be right because I'm not seeing anywhere near those kinds of numbers in the exhibit hall or in the programs i've been going to i just saw somebody in the chat here said they had a panel of four people with four people in the audience uh you know during the program so i don't know i mean again zach i know you were the only one here who actually was led into the uh into the secret uh, dome and uh, got to see what was going on do you have a sense of what the attendance was like yeah, Whether I- it was consistent with what they're saying
3: I will say too, I wasn't in too many panels or anything like that because I was spending a lot of time in meetings, but I remember I went into the Tuesday keynote and it kind of threw me off a little bit actually, because it was probably, I don't know, 80 to hundred, which is low for a keynote as it is, but it kind of, to point earlier, it wasn't even really live. It was people kind of on zoom and then you were just in the crowd watching zoom, um, So I think partially maybe because of that, like some of the in-person sessions uh, probably got a little bit more attendance. Like I was talking to Ryan O'Leary on, I guess, Wednesday before I left and he had a live session um, on Wednesday with David Horrigan and others. And he said, yeah, it was solid attendance. They got, I don't know, 20, 25, something like that in the room, which less than you'd see normally, but good for this show. Um, I'm bad at numbers. If I had to estimate it's, it's definitely in the hundreds, I, not a thousand. But the keynote speaker
0: wasn't there live? I didn't know that.
3: Not on Tuesday. Um, May Jamison oh. was, I oh, believe, okay. on Monday. But, but the,
5: the people in the people room, were, there were 80 to 100 in the room or 80 to 100 on the room and online? In the room. Okay, for the keynote. Okay, so live. Yeah. Okay.
3: But I didn't yeah. see like big conglomerations of people other than that, really. like If I had to put it, my guess would be five to seven hundred total, but that's just ballpark.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, just for anybody who didn't, I, the, the the official numbers they gave out were that they were at the total in person attendance was eight hundred and thirty one. Total digital attendance was thirteen oh six, and the that, uh, so that's a combined total of twenty one thirty seven. Um, and uh, so who knows. And that 831 would be everybody, not just the attendees, but all the the, the vendors and uh, uh, who knows who else they include.
5: I wonder if Ilta might want to ask the vendors one time, who do they want to speak to? You know, what are the who are the reporters and the outlets that they most covet? Because they're the ones that pay to go and get that coverage in addition to getting leads and but they're going there to get exposure. Yeah, I wonder if their vote matters. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess a lot of the a lot of the vendors, they know how to reach us. They kind of don't need Delta to do it for them. I guess in some ways, but I, I you know, it's certainly at some of these conferences you go to, uh, when you when you're the press going around the exhibit hall, you do meet a lot of vendors who are kind of newer and aren't sort of sophisticated about how to how to get coverage or how to who even to talk to uh about it and it is certainly helpful to have reporters on site
2: one of the best conversations i had was two years ago when we were in person uh a couple of guys who were like starting something up and they were like who are the players like hey, we're coming over from the tech side we're not lawyers like who are these people and uh it was very interesting to hear their perspectives and to like help them through the process and yeah you only get that when you're in person yeah yeah
5: well plus I only cover this type of thing when I'm at when I attend the shows as press. I don't, you know, I write more about the intersection of law and tech throughout the year, but it's only when I'm at tech show or legal tech or ilta that I cover vendor news and the industry because that's just how I do it. <laughs> and so I think I don't think I'm the only one that does that. I know some of you cover stuff all the time, but good for thought yeah. too.
0: Yeah. All right. Put the nail in the coffin of iltacon at this point is there anything else to uh anything else to say about it
3: um uh, I, I mean really the only other thing is hey I, I talked about it a little bit earlier but i'm super curious what the future of exhibit halls looks like because particularly with those smaller conversations really being at the forefront i can definitely see a future not only for iltacon but legal- Oops, accidentally muted myself. Um, I can see a future with not only Ulta, but Legal Week, ABA Tech Show, where those booths aren't really seen as necessary anymore, or definitely more pared down, because it seems like that's not really where the business is coming in. It's more direct contact. It's more conversations kind of happening off the show floor, those dinners, what have you. Um, and now that people have had a taste of that and had an exhibit hall that wasn't really what they wanted it to be, but I think a lot of people still consider the show a success for them in spite of that. Um, I think you definitely could see some different types of shows moving forward, maybe a little bit smaller, maybe purposefully more intimate because of that.
0: Yeah. And I think that's actually a trend that, Started predated COVID in a sense. A lot of the we're already seeing a lot of the big exhibit, what used to be the massive exhibitors at some of these conferences, scaling way back in terms of their booths. I mean, Thompson Reuters for, is a good example that used to be you know, you'd go to some of these conferences and they'd own half the floor and then they've scaled back and scaled back. Uh, and so I, I think they're not seeing the benefit of these giant booths, um, certainly not the ROI on the giant booths. I think, though, I, you know, there's you do still, though, talk to a lot of vendors who who say they get a lot of valuable connections and leads out of those conversations on the exhibit floor. So probably a scaled back version, uh, but, um, you know, also more of, you know, what I often talk about is sort of guerrilla marketing by a lot of these vendors who, I mean, they don't even exhibit. They just go to these shows and they get their logo t-shirt on and they go around and stop everybody they can find to talk to them and and that can be very effective too, in just terms of getting to know the landscape and getting to know people and getting getting people to know you. So, um, all right, I have no idea what other stories people have this week, because we were all kind of lax about filling out our little story sheet this week, but- uh, uh, I would say correct, confused, uh, not yeah, lax. Confused? <laughs> confused. confused. Okay, I I thought... my, all my fault then. Uh, all right. All right, well, since you're confused, Nikki, we'll start with you.
5: (laughs) I'm always a little dazed and confused. Um, (laughs) I uh, was going to talk about, um, what was I going to talk about? I wrote about it yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Let me copy this so I can paste it in a second. Um, uh, It was a court case from Texas district court, um, a court of appeals case about e-filing and tech competence and uh, tech competence fail essentially. So let me, um, I wrote about it, but it's behind a paywall. So let me put the Catherine Reaches article about it that is not behind a paywall. Um, And it was really interesting. It's only because it highlighted the importance of tech competence, even for something that is presumably as simple as e-filing, but for many lawyers, it's not simple. And a lot of oftentimes, even the interfaces are not all that simple because they're not particularly great software. But so this was just a case where a um, case had been removed to federal court from state court. It was a um, uh, personal injury case, essentially. It was someone suing their employer, but it was um, an injury on the job, but it was a personal injury matter, not not workers comp. And uh, as is typical in federal court, this the attorney for the plaintiff consented to e-filing. And Home Depot was the uh, defendant and they filed a motion for summary judgment within the time in the scheduling order. And somehow the email about the filing got folded without going to the inbox of the plaintiff's attorney. So it just went into a folder, plaintiff's attorney never saw it. Um, uh, He, I think it was, he never checked in to um, make sure that something hadn't been filed by the deadline in the scheduling order. And so a couple of weeks later, he contacted the uh, defense counsel to talk about a settlement. And then they said, settlement, the judge issued a, the court just issued a (laughs) granted a motion for summary judgment three days ago. Did you know about that? And so they filed a motion to, um, for reconsideration essentially um, under a specific uh, section of federal rules. And the appellate court said, listen, not our problem. you're supposed to know how this works, and it was within your control, nobody else's. And so no, we're not going to reopen it. And it was a little more the analysis was a little more complicated than that, but essentially they said, you're out of luck. That was your um, the burden was on you to track your emails as they came in and you agreed to this. So I just thought it was interesting because it was a pretty harsh outcome. And also uh, I mean e-filing is becoming commonplace across the board. COVID has accelerated that, I would argue. And so um, even at that very basic level, lawyers had to figure out their email foldering and the way the rules are set up, because this was a um, its a pretty simple tech issue, all things considered, but it was a pretty harsh outcome. And so it's just a really good example of a simple tech competence issue versus some of the more complex ones relating to security and all these other um, hurdles that lawyers feel are difficult for them to deal with. So. Um, and I wrote about it for the Daily Record, but it's fine to paywall. And Catherine does a great job um, summarizing that. And then Joe, uh, Joe raises a great point only to us, though, but they should have checked their emails. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. And we'll never get old. Um, actually, you know, it's interesting that you, um, you say this because my non ILTA ish story uh, bleeds into this. So I, I'm going to glom it on and we can talk about them together, which is that, uh, and it's not up yet, it goes up in like 10 minutes. So I can't send out a link, but. Um, the uh, Zero put out a uh, survey that they had conducted on the last day of ILTA, which was very interesting. And it was kind of product agnostic. But when you mention checking emails and like missing things in the shuffle, uh, obviously what Zero does is kind of automate the email thing, so you always get the ones that are important, whatever. Um, but the the whole point of the survey was just that law firm Not managed sponsored
5: by Zero. <laughs> well, right.
2: Well, well, they they sponsored the study. No, I know your message. Right.
5: Though. You, oh yeah. Just oh yeah. yeah, like yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Oh and no. It's... No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Fair enough. No. <laughs> Mine was sponsored by ILFA. Um. But the um, but it, the interesting thing about it was they were talking about it from that perspective. But they went even beyond that. Uh, law firm management is convinced that everybody, you know, is not feeling like they're wasting any time. Like. Very little time is wasted doing non-billable tasks, uh, and timekeepers felt, "Oh my God, almost all my time is lost doing non-billable tasks." One of which, uh, which good for the sponsors of the survey, is email management. But it's more than that; they have problems with uh, filling out their billing diaries because these clients have all these requirements, like all these different. Repetitive, non-billable tasks that are out there. The firms don't quite get how much money they lose to it. Uh, the associates feel they're losing quality of life to it, uh, and it it does lead to search. In, and what the conclusion of the study was was that there's lots of room in different areas of the law firm workflow for automation, and that it's not happening because the firm management just doesn't see that. Uh, and I glommed on to your story just because when you were talking about like missing it sometimes people miss their emails because they you know are are laying down on the job but other times it's because they got 400 emails i I pity the poor person who does bankruptcy because i i mean the one bankruptcy matter i ever did there were like 400 filings the first day i like how would you ever be on top of all that so you've got to have something that parses it
0: and that it's also reminiscent of uh, the, the famous Sidley Austin case from, uh, I don't know, six or seven years ago, but where they got the, uh, you know, when you're, when you're in federal court, you get these, uh, the NEFS, the notices of electronic filing when I, when something is filed in the docket and the clerk will fill out a little form, generally pr- sort of indicating what the document is or, or what the filing relates to or what the docket action is. And you get this email with the note from the clerk and then there's the click to get the PDF. You have to go back to the pacer site to get the PDF and download it. And uh, a lot of times people might just look at the clerk notice without actually getting the PDF or they shouldn't be doing that, but this is what happens sometimes. And and uh, in the Sidley Austin case, the clerk had, improperly identified what the document was was the document in fact was a, a final order in, in a in a case uh granting you know in a, in a 40 million dollar case uh ruling against Sidley Austin's client and uh Sidley uh, relied on the description of the document without actually downloading the full document from Pacer to see what it said and as a result, did not file an appeal on time. And uh, they tried to contest that by saying, well, the clerk's notice was screwed up and that's why we didn't file the appeal on time. And it didn't work. The court kind of said you should have read the, you should have actually read the document, not just relied on what the notice uh, said in the email caption. A very costly lesson. And um, so you can put in another product plug here for like companies like Pacer Pro or something that just distribute these uh as a matter uh, you know automatically and without you having to go and uh, download so
2: and, and i will say from our meeting that zach and i had with with the folks uh that sponsored this they said we want to do this every year and we want other vendors to help co-sponsor it they're like because we got it out to our people but you know we can get it if we get co-sponsorship we can get it out to more and more people to get better and better data so like you mentioned another product, absolutely. And all those folks should uh, should get involved.
0: Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah. Well, and I, I think the interesting, the other thing that's interesting about that to me is that this isn't a new problem. The administrative um, non-billable time that lawyers spend on all these tasks. When I was a litigation associate years ago and we did work for insurance companies, there were so many things that they would not pay for that were a necessary part of the case, you know? And, you know, trying to it sometimes felt unethical trying to like reframe the work that you were doing so that it fit within one of the specific types of language that they would permit. And it's gotten even more difficult now because they have machines that just scan it rather than an individual assurance adjuster that writes it off. Um, but so, but there are all sorts of things that lawyers do that isn't that, um, and especially associates that's administrative that they don't, um, th- that they're not able to recover um, time for. And so that's sort of a different issue, but, and also just tracking time accurately and passive time tracking and the tools that help with that. And that there are these tools out there to help lawyers do this type of thing and sort of either account for that work or um, reduce that amount of work. But the firms often just have a, aren't either rolling that tech out or there's not great change management in terms of getting people to adopt. So it can be difficult.
3: Yeah. And one thing you said, Nikki, that I thought was super interesting that I want to pick out is necessary part of the case. Um, And Jasmine kind of put that in chat too. Jasmine Gavin wrote, uh, even non-billable actions are part of the process. Ignoring any step in the process will eventually catch up to you. And I definitely think that is the case here. Um, If I was going to have a non-ILTA story this week, it probably would have been Reed Smith and their entire restructuring and laying off legal secretaries and trying to redo how they're doing that but in doing so you can't let stuff like that fall by the wayside there are technological solutions to all this but implementation is just as important as actually adopting the technology if you're not implementing correctly and making sure that you have all steps of the process accounted for then it's going to inherently fail no matter how you restructure your people Um, And I feel like some law firms just kind of want to cut corners or view technology as the way to cut corners sometimes, but it doesn't really work that way.
0: Yeah, good points. Uh, What else we got? Uh, Victor, what do you have this week? Anything?
4: Yeah, so there was a um, one thing I thought was interesting. uh, Reuters Reuters reported it and then, you know, uh, got picked up by a lot of other outlets that uh, the LeClaire Ryan trustee filed a... Filed a, uh, filed a, um, you know, in charge of the uh, in charge of the bankruptcy, uh, uh, filed a complaint against Gary Gary the former the well the uh, the former I guess uh, founding manager partner of the firm, uh, and one of the things that they also targeted was that one of one of the allegations was that um, they talked about how um, uh, leclerc Ryan's partnership with United Lex, which you know at the time seemed like this very innovative partnership that you know held a lot of promise and whatnot. Uh, they're now saying that oh this is one of the things that helped bankrupt the firm <laughs> one of one of the reasons why 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 it failed and whatnot and obviously you know they they you know both both Leclerc Ryan uh, both uh, Gary Leclerc and and united Lex contest that obviously and that's what that's what the you know the uh, the case is going to be about going forward as, as far as they're concerned but i thought it was interesting that that um you know this was one of the things that came out of. I mean, I I I think most people kind of assumed that something was gonna something was gonna come about with this because look, uh, you I think United Lex was the biggest creditor, uh, in, in the bankruptcy estate, uh, um, remaining, and and whatnot. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there are a lot of like salacious allegations in the in the complaint too. I think one thing that they accuse Gary Leclerc of is that like um you know he studied that he studied that he studied he allegedly studied the Dewey bankruptcy and tried to like figure out ways that he could he could you know avoid certain things it was all you know in the complaint obviously you know he has a chance to um contest these things and whatnot but um you know another thing that they accused him of was that like I guess they were saying that um you know um at one point the firm like they they compared they compared the firm to it to like to to bernie from weekend at bernie's uh which i thought was which i thought was a nice little nice little line (laughs) um so it was nice to see that that um that reference make its way into a uh into a major bankruptcy case but but yeah i I think it'll be interesting to see how, how how it how it plays out i mean obviously they're they're probably you know um you know they were one of the they were i think they're probably the most recent uh big firm to go bust um and uh and you know some of the some of the lessons that if any lessons get, get learned from, from them as a result going forward, it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah. It's some pretty devastating stuff. The, the, the just the quote from your story in the ABA journal says the, the this, the suit quotes a United Lex employee, formerly a Leclerc Ryan shareholder, said the situation was like the 1989 American comedy film weekend at Bernie's in which a dead man is propped up to deceive others. I mean, I mean,
4: you know, that was one of my favorite movies for a long time, but I, I will say I did I did watch it recently. It does not hold up. It really. It, 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 but you know, that being said, it's still a great it's still a great wham line for any any piece of litigation. So, I would advise anybody you know watching who's who's writing you know writing these things you know just consider more we can at Bernie's
2: references. It yeah. is amazing how many of the kind of well the eighties is an entire uh, group of comedies. Did not hold up, which it actually makes it more <laughs> amazing. Just gonna say <laughs> more amazing the ones that did, like like the few, the handful that did stand up. Like y- you kind of blow off as cliche, and then you watch the ones that didn't. You're like, wow, Ghostbusters really must have been genius to have stood up, you know, like stuff like that. Anyway. The
5: worst is when you're like, get your kids when they're teenagers. Let's watch this; it's great. And like two thirds of the way through, you're like, oh my god, don't look at the screen. Like, <laughs> there was did a- that was in there? <laughs>
2: What was that? I can't remember who wrote it, but there was a fantastic article recently of somebody who was talking about how uh, how a culture writer who was like, I loved Revenge of the Nerds and I made somebody watch it. Oh, yeah. Okay, Zach's you can't if you're listening
4: very problematic.
2: If you're listening to this as opposed to watching the webcast live uh Zach is making clear he's read the same article uh, yeah. which doesn't shock me because what we learned over the last few days is that we consume exactly the same media uh, but yeah he um he was like I sat down to watch it with somebody and I couldn't even finish because it was like okay that's a cr- okay that's illegal that's a crime um wow that that's horrifying <laughs> that's well, right yeah
5: I tried to watch 48 Hours because for some reason I thought it was a Christmas movie. That's what I remembered with my like middle school kids and my grandmother. <laughs> I totally yeah. forgot like there's a top list scene in there with like a prostitute. I don't know that I turned off pretty quickly, but that was, you know, sometimes you just had this the, vision of what movies were about, but they were that's not about.
2: <laughs> the wrong, that's the wrong action film to be a Christmas movie. Like Die Hard is the Christmas movie. Yeah. You move on from there.
4: Well, I think Eddie Murphy, ha- well, I think Trading Places. was Trading just- Places, Yeah.
5: Yeah.
4: yeah. yeah. That Another, movie was also oh, very problematic. That was it. Too. It
5: was trading places. Yeah. That's what it was. That's the one where Jamie Lee, Jamie the Curtis is in, it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's Business, the one that I yeah. have them watch, not Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, when Dan Aykroyd
4: gets blackface. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah,
5: that was yeah. that was really bad.
2: <laughs> that said, so uh, I'm not going to name this person because uh, it would be bad. But uh, a few years ago, somebody who works or worked with the uh, CFTC told me that what they got everybody in the office were Duke brothers, like whatever um, branded equipment, like, oh, like bags and stuff because that the crux of that movie for all the problematism, it's actually a very good legal movie because you learn a lot about commodities, future trading, uh, because that is the core of it. And so they, yeah, the CFTC gave everybody bags from the people who tried to corner the orange juice market.
0: See, yeah. I always had a soft spot for Weekend at Bernie's 2 because it was filmed in the Virgin Islands where I used to practice law many years ago and I'm still a member of the bar, so uh...
2: wow. Yeah. I that that no, I'm just saying wow cuz this is the first time in history somebody preferred Weekend at Bernie's 2. Well, so that's well, Yeah, yeah.
0: No, absolutely. That that nope. and that would be the only reason
2: Sometimes in the history of human in, human words, like people yeah. have put two concepts together, and I've never heard that. No,
0: it's like like Victoria just said. She like she likes seeing movies filmed in Philadelphia, so it's like uh, you know.
1: Yes, like the Rocky movies. I've never actually watched a full Rocky movie, which I kind of feel like I should have. Like I'm not a Philadelphian because I've never watched that, but I like watching those old movies in the 80s. Philadelphia looks yeah. so weird and different. And speaking of 80s movies, I was just watching Coming to America had that song stuck in my head when he's singing To Be Loved, and I was like, I keep having that song stuck
0: in my head, so, yeah, 80s movies. Yeah, well, hey, if you want to see a good movie that's filmed right outside where I am right now, a movie called Coda that's out now, have you heard of this? yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's a really good movie, all filmed in Gloucester, and actually also in Rockport, uh, so a lot of it just down the street from where I live, and the other parts right outside my office here, so uh, I kind my of my recommendation.
2: I kind of love, by the way, that uh, we... When we were pre-planning this uh, podcast, you know, for those of you listening, you don't necessarily know the planning that goes into this, but when we were planning it, we were like, are, are we going to only talk about Ilta? Like, are we, can <laughs> that fill the whole out?" I just love that we devolved into 80s movies. And I think that we're great personalities. And everyone should know what we think about them. I view and, this and as- frankly, yeah. it might
0: be more interesting than Ilta.
2: <laughs> I view this as a maturity of the show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, but we haven't gotten to Victoria's story yet, um, oh. which I don't know what it is, but I'm, I know you have.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, it's one of my colleagues. Um, I believe it was like a development, she's based in California, um, just kind of like the saga of court reporters and just like, they're really against like, if it's not in-person court reporting, they're really going to try to, you'll have some very vocal um, people that are fight against it. And my colleague, Cheryl Miller, um, at the California-based publication The Recorder, she wrote about the California state legislator that they're um, going to um, uh, the California governor. He tried to impose like a new rule that would allow remote court reporting in state California state courts um, beyond the pandemic. But there was a, there was a lot of pushback from lobbyists, specifically state court report state court uh, court reporters and interpreters. And they hired like a lobbyist to kind of like change the rule and make sure that it kind of dies in legislation and that looks like what's going to happen because at originally during a the pandemic they issued like um some type of emergency order that you could um be allowed to uh, remotely record um court report but court report is now just kind of like oh the pandemic's over we are going to go back to the way things were but even though you had defense and plaintiffs uh attorneys, they were both pro it, just saying like, we can continue this, especially with the huge backlog in California state courts. They thought this would be really useful, but some court reporters are just a little bit angsty about it. They say like, it's not accurate. There could be some issues from some people that I spoke to that they just said, like in the industry, they're more so concerned about like that, that more technology could take their jobs away and kind of take away their careers and start implementing maybe non verbal non verbatim um, reporting of matters. So it's just kind of interesting. And it's just like, again, like this really big, I think, behind the scenes kind of um, push that there's not enough court reporters in the United States, but you have some very vocal court reporters who are just like, we're not going to implement more technology to dr- address that. But yeah. I would suggest
5: that in terms of, I think that sometimes I think they're looking, it's a really interesting issue, but they're looking at it, they're being sort of short sighted. because. Um, there are this technology doesn't necessarily have to replace them. It can supplement them. So when I was yeah. a public defender in town court, um, in you know all these little towns in upstate New York, there were no court reporters. So when we did have some egregious issues that needed to be um, appealed for these misdemeanors, we didn't have a record on appeal because the towns couldn't afford to bring court reporters out. Certainly the public defenders couldn't afford to bring court reporters out. So an AI transcript. Is going to be way better than nothing at all and the, filling in the gap naturally almost like an access to justice issue right I, I actually think it is and so in a lot of ways the technology is going to improve access to justice and supplement the court reporters and you know what some of the sometimes you're going to need probably court reporters to review those transfers so they may their job may pivot a little but i do think that um i get why they're upset but i often think that sometimes any, uh, group of people that are in, in fear for their jobs because of tech, sometimes need to take a step back and try and figure out how can we take advantage of this and pivot and actually improve our quality of life and maybe have a little bit less tedium because trust me, I don't, I don't think reporting is a, the most um, enlightened, uh, interesting job in the world. It can be pretty monotonous and tedious, I would suggest. and it, Maybe they can have other alternatives to do slightly more interesting things. Of course, that's easy to say when your job is not the one that's at risk of being replaced by tech. So.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key thing about court reporting is, is there is there is they th- that is a profession that does feel threatened by technology uh, in a lot of ways, and and they can embrace it and move their profession forward, or they can be fearful of it and uh, dig their own grave. I think.
2: Yeah. It, it, what what got me is once I was talking to a vendor who's in that space, and they were like, "I don't understand why they feel threatened because at the end of the day, a human still needs to do certain things." It's a They're not going to be the ones typing everything up, but they still need to be the person who goes through and does certain coding and frankly can do more coding to different things if they are taken away from doing the typing. And I was like, yeah, it really is true that they they feel threatened unnecessarily because they could really clean up uh, if they got on board.
1: Yeah, and my talks with like the court reporting agencies that work on like the depositions, not in the state courts, they definitely say like, you know, we had to go remote because of COVID-19, of course, Um, the clients, the attorneys, the corporations, specifically insurance companies, but they see that kind of maintaining like, um, you know, post pandemic and people feel more comfortable going into maybe like conference rooms and everything like that, just because it's cheaper. And unless it's like a bet the company type of matter, they'll be willing to do like hybrid or not paying to have the court report actually go to the conference room and kind of transcribe and record the matter. Um, and from other people just say they, when I brought up like the California issue, they just said like, the market is changing and even in courts, if you have the plaintiffs and the defense bar willing to have remote court reporters, eventually those court reporters won't be able to kind of like delay kind of what may be the inevitable. So it'll be interesting to see, they're really trying not to go down with the fight, but it's just kind of like, will they be able to kind of push off from um, how the market seems like it's evolving?
2: Yeah, so um, Uh, go ahead. Oh no, I I was just, uh yeah i got distracted by something that i because somebody uh in the chat just said something about look to your left look to your right and all i could think was uh a, unlike the paper chase of the mr show sequence where bob odenkirk uh did that um but um i really did have something to say about, about what you had just <laughs> said victoria now i lost it in a wave of like the chat It's uh, probably so brilliant No, it was, it was terribly not brilliant, but it was going to be bonkers. And I thought that was going to help. Yeah. Oh, well yeah
1: now that you guys have me think about 80s movies and like all <laughs> now i keep thinking of the very controversial movie um soul man that was based on like a lost yes! maybe harvard yes i watched it i know spike lee had a real big issue with it. it was weird i had some comments but i thought it was entertaining i could definitely see how people are, are upset with it because the whole movie the guys in blackface but yeah there is yeah interesting yeah but it was cool, interesting that. movie yeah but, oh no that's what it was
2: I was going to talk about uh, going off on the court reporter thing. I was just going to throw out there: uh, <laughs> college football begins this weekend uh, with a shortened <laughs> week, and of it course. remind and, no, <laughs> exactly. and it
0: it reminded me of it's the a time stream of consciousness.
5: <laughs> no, and it reminded me
2: of the time that Jim Harbaugh was a law clerk. Uh, if people don't remember that he, because he became a spokesperson for the LSC. Uh, the Legal Services Corporation, uh, who does a lot of pro bono stuff. And one of the things he did was sit and do like clerk stuff for a state judge. And he was like, helping the court reporter find things. And he he had this great testimony of how hard it was to keep track of everything uh, in the hours that he was there. And I was like, it was off of that story. I was just like, that's, that was a thing that weirdly happened in our lives that's quasi relevant to the uh, sports world, uh, where somebody who's a normie basically learned how hard it is to actually do these legal tasks that we all kind of take for granted.
0: And somehow that reminded me of the story you guys had today. I mean, there's a sort of a tech connection here between the NFL and, uh, and, and tech and, uh, it, with the with the the, the best, uh, I love the subhead on your uh, headline today, which is "Come the fuck on."
2: <laughs> yeah, Oh, that that, that was yeah, that's a C-
5: Joe headline. No, <laughs> no, it was Catherine. Oh. <laughs>
2: so so I actually did find this story. I saw it on Twitter that uh, Justice Alan Page, who uh, was a associate justice of the Minnesota Supreme Court for several years, uh, he has since retired from that job. He was the First defensive player to ever be uh, MVP of the NFL, uh, in, in addition to being a jurist for like 20 years, he um, he asked to be verified on Twitter because, you know, he's an NFL MVP and a justice on a Supreme Court. And <laughs> they said, meh, I don't know. And he tweeted out like the conversation where Twitter was like, yeah, no, we we just don't we, we don't think you're important enough. And I saw it and I retweeted it with like, okay. And uh, this was while I was sitting in the airport. It was right before I got on my plane back from Vegas. So I couldn't write it. And I contacted Catherine and said, like, you need to jump on this. And she did. And uh, thank- mercifully, Catherine on her sh- podcast, The Jabot, had interviewed one of Alan Page's clerks in the past so she was able to chat with her about this controversy and uh unsurprisingly that clerk was very angry about Twitter's decision and had a lot to say he has a middle school named after him this guy oh. how in the world <laughs> is it impossible to assume this person's important i mean not to be a dick i am verified on twitter and like come on if i'm verified then in defensive mvp and Supreme Court justice should be verified.
0: Does that get you like a plaque or a secret handshake or what, what no, happens if you're verified?
2: No, but but you know what it does? A little get blue you. check. It gets you that little blue check, which is why I paid the extra money to get. i uh, not like not from Twitter officially, but to get that on a T-shirt, which I then wore during the second uh, Ilta uh, press conference. I don't know if you saw it, but I did wear that on that press conference just to be like, yeah. I'll
0: Oh oh I'm the bathroom one the one where you're in the bathroom? No, no, the first no. one,
2: first one no, I was wearing a bathrobe. bathrobe. The second one I wore the verified shirt. All
0: right, good.
5: It's hard to keep track of all your outfits, you know. I mean, you're fashion plate.
2: I you know, I I I'm an influencer, as they call it on Instagram. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and and on this panel. Um, <laughs> obviously. We're gonna we're gonna verify you on this panel. <laughs> All right, uh, we are just about out of time. Any, any, any more uh, movie nominations or uh, other comments before we wrap up? All right, hearing none. Uh, we will be back again next week with another great discussion about legal tech. I hope. And thanks to everybody for attending and listening. And uh, everybody, stay well. And Joe, I hope you test negative.
2: Thank you. So too. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Good Bye. weekend,
5: everybody.